Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cervix Speaks. Uh, if in a while, like, uh, you know, like due to this current pandemic situation, hope everybody safe and sound, and also your families and your beloved one, everybody safe from this pandemic. So uh, we, as you all know that, you know, Cervix software, uh, we normally uh, organize the meetups. Yeah. And right now, today, we have to do the webinar due to the current situation. So my name is Joseph. I'm the talent acquisition team. Yeah, so today we have like an Android webinar, flows, biometric, and safe navigation for Android. All right, so some of you already know who we are, Savvy Software. We are like a software design agency based in Thailand. Yeah, we are originally from Norway and we relocated to Thailand since 2014. So we've been in Thailand for seven years. Yeah, we're helping the, a lot of clients in Thailand and also we have international clients and also we have like European clients. We're helping for the, a lot of business center as well. So some of you already used to attend our meetups before. You used to visit our office at the park, which is connected with MRT Queen City Gate. Yeah, it's just sad that we, you know, like we cannot set up like a meetup for now. So we have, we would like to, you know, like uh, keep doing what, what we used to do. So we moved to the webinar. So today uh, you will be, you know, like uh, uh, learning a lot of, you know, Android things. Yeah, how the flows, biometric, and also safe navigation, which is very, very interesting topic we have. All right, so, you know, like you can also uh, like and, you know, like follow our Facebook page and also the LinkedIn, because we always update, you know, all of our activities. And also we have like case study sharings yeah, very interesting topics. We always share on the social medias for our, you know, like followers. So please make sure to like and follow so you will not miss any of our update from Sambi software. Yeah. Of course, like, uh, you know, Sambi software, we're growing very fast. We have like 22 different nationalities. We work very hard and we also pretty hard. Those photos, just the moment before, you know, like lockdown. So we have enjoyed a lot of like, you know, Catamaran trick, we have a lot of birdie inside, and also we have outgoing, you know, activities a lot. Of course, like we stay doing online, online things, like we always, you know, like share and make a fan, play the games online. We stay doing, keep doing. So this is the moment that we used to have it before. And we also did a lot of support, you know, sports like it's also another thing. We have a lot of like uh, groups, someone like, uh, you know, like a uh, gymnastic or cross fix, or we also play, you know, like a uh, the game, PlayStations, Xbox in the office as well. So we really, really mix, you know, back to the office, meet with our awesome people to have those kind of activity. Hopefully this pandemic will be over soon. Yeah. And of course, like we also eat hard. Yeah, as well. We have a free lunch every Thursday, as you see that we have like different international cuisine in the office. So people can try, you know, like a different taste and also they can, they can mingle around the cross-functional teams. And we also have like, uh, you know, other activities like a uh, wine tasting that you see in the photos. And well, we have a lot of activities in the office. So we hope to do it, those kind of activities again in the office. So, yeah. Right. So we stay hiring. Yeah. Even though, you know, like uh, this pandemic cannot stop us from hiring. We are growing very fast and we almost like 100 people right now. So, but we still looking for more talented developer who is basically who is in Thailand will be better for now 
due to the location. But of course, like we open for everybody who interested to walk in the remotely from the different city, from Chiang Mai, or you know, like uh, Phuket. That you can also apply. We're looking for more .NET developer, front end, and also Scrum master, backend, Android developers, UX UI designers, iOS iOS developer, and software QA engineers. You can you can check out our uh, opening position on our website, Savage Software slash uh slash careers and you can also send your profile uh your cv to uh jobs apps savvy software so our team will review it and then you know get back to you as possible and if you're not looking for it at this moment you know you can also share this very good opportunity to your friends and colleagues you know who are looking for the job to join with the international team to have an options you know like we are helping for the very well-known clients in thailand and also international internationally so yeah, please feel free to share, refer the people, or if you're interested in some big software, please kindly send your CV. Yeah. Uh, you can also check out our even page. You can scan this QR. Uh, you know, we always update like uh, all the webinars is coming up. So we are preparing, you know, more interesting topic. And also we will share more things on our social media channels. And we might also send some email to to some of you guys who have like an email list. And all right, so this is the Android webinar. So today, so the main topic is like uh, flows, biometrics, and safe navigation for the Android. So we have three speakers today. So the first speaker, uh, he will talk about like uh, utilizing Kotlin flows in the Android application. The second speaker will talk about establishing secure biometric authentications in the Android. And the third speaker, last but not least, uh, he will talk about the safe navigation with the Android navigation component. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to you know, raise your hand or send your questions in the chat box. So our speaker will you know, take a look at the questions and they might you know, take the questions and they will answer right away. Or if they cannot answer, you know, like to do the, a lot of questions, we we'll definitely get back you guys, you know, like get to each individual. So feel free to drop your like, you know, like questions, or if you have any suggestions or anything, you know, if you have any questions regarding this webinar, or if you would like to listen other, you know, topic in the future, you can also put any comment in the chat box. Thank you guys. So I would like to invite our first speaker, BJ. So he's gonna talk about utilizing Kotlin flows in the Android applications. Are you ready, BJ? yeah hi all right uh, hi everyone all right hi uh hi all my name is vijay patel and i'm working as senior android developer here at seven peaks uh today i'll be presenting how to utilize kotlin flows in an android application uh i will also include uh, channels in the discussion. So basically we'll cover Kotlin flows and channels. So these two features are basically included in the Kotlin uh, coroutine libraries. So let's look into those and how we can in, uh, use this uh, tools in our applic Android application development. We'll uh, see moving forward. All right. So before before starting anything, 
I would like to discuss uh, what kind of challenges we face while uh, developing Android applications. So challenges, one of the main challenge we face is uh, related to asynchrony. So uh, in the asynchrony, there are following challenges which we face, whether it may be a network request or whether it may be in database uh, readings. Asynchrony is something which is uh, persistent, which stays there. So uh, some of the challenges under asynchrony are like race conditions, one of the very common issue, back pressure. Uh, basically, while developing streaming applications, we face this uh, back pressure issues. There are some leaked resources. We also have threads, and we know how threads are expensive. Uh, they can also starve each other. Uh, deadlocks may occur uh, between them and several other asynchrony issues. So to solve this asynchrony issue in Kotlin, uh, we developed a library called Coroutines. So Coroutines is basically a backbone behind Kotlin uh, flows and channels. So before moving forward with the flows and channels, I would like to uh, discuss a little about coroutines, uh, a little fundamentals about the coroutines. So uh, I'm, I'm sure you might have used Kotlin coroutines before, but I would like to uh, go into why Kotlin coroutines are so powerful. So some of the features of Kotlin coroutines are they are lightweight. So you can run multiple coroutines in a single thread due to the support of suspension. So they basically that don't block the thread where the coroutines are running. One of the incredible feature that is the suspension feature. Another, we have fewer memory leaks. Uh, uh, because we use structured concurrency, so there are fewer memory leaks. Uh, we also have built-in cancellation support. And many Jetpack libraries, they have a support for coroutines. They provide full support for coroutines. So basically what coroutines are, coroutines can suspend. Now, uh, if I think about this thing, for the first time I understand it like as coroutines can suspend means they can pause. Basically, it's like a hitting a pause button. So let's say when a coroutine is running inside a thread, so they can stop and resume later so that the thread can operate on some other asynchronous processes, probably some other coroutine. So, and it does so basically by uh, choosing when to suspend and when to resume. So let's say we have two coroutines here, uh, one on the left and one on the right. Both coroutines are running concurrently. So threads can decide which coroutine should suspend and which can resume. So it's, it's something like the threads can switch between the coroutines. Uh, it's something like they are interweave among each other. So this will not block the other process uh, while ongoing the process. Now, 
here, if we want to continue, uh, if we want to use some state in the coroutines, uh, let's say we want to uh, continue to operate some sort of uh, changing states in the coroutines. And one of the ways we can do this is by communicating um, uh, between the coroutines by using the thing called channels. But before moving forward with the channels, we need to make sure that the shared mutable, we need to avoid the shared mutable state. We just want to communicate between two coroutines and uh, share, we don't want to share the shared mutable uh, state. We just want to uh, share some state, that's it. So channels, so what are channels? So channels are basically, they are like a pipe. We can send some information and we can receive some information from them. So they are like synchronous synchronization primitive. Like we can send some information into them and we can they can spit some information out. They are like a non-blocking queue. So they have a separate suspending function to send the information to the channel and they have a separate suspending function to receive the information from the channel. So let's see how, uh, with a simple demo here, how channel works. So on the left, you can see we have a channel of strings. Uh, this is basically represented by a pipe on the right side. And we have a coroutine, coroutine number one and coroutine number two, which are basically, uh, which basically iterates through the channel using the for loop to receive some values from through it. And now we have a coroutine number three, which is basically a list of strings, specifically A, B, C, and D. So let's say if we want to send some information. So if we, if a, if we want to send some information over a channel, we call channel.send and here, the coroutine number three, which is our producing coroutine, will try to send some information. So let's say it tries to send value A over the channel. Now, coroutine one and coroutine two, based on their availability, they can try to receive that value. So here in this case, coroutine one can receive that value through the channel using the for loop uh, iterating over the channel. Then we have, then let's say another value, the producing coroutine number three, let's try, tries to send uh, another value over the channel coroutine. Now in this case, if coroutine two is available, it tries to receive that value. Uh, it does the same, it tries to over the channel and try to receive that value. But, while coroutine one and coroutine two are processing the value, the coroutine number three reacts to this scenario by suspending itself. So it can suspend for some time while the processing of the values is done. So once the processing of value is done, it can start sending the values again. So based on the availability, if coroutine one is available, it can try to receive that value. And same goes with the coroutine number two. If it's available, it can receive that value. 
And once the iterating over the list is done, we can close the channel. We can also do this by using produce builder. So the advantage of using a produce builder is that we don't have to reference channels inside the builder and we also don't have to close it explicitly. So now the coroutine number three, the producing coroutine does the same thing. It tries to send the elements of a list one by one to the other coroutine. Great. So channels are, what are the takeaways here? The takeaways are basically, they are like a non-blocking queue and they are a synchronization primitives like they allow us to send data safely to other parts of our application. But channels are hot. So uh, basically what happens is channels tries to consume some uh, resources before anything receives the information from that particular channel. So this is the reason they are inefficient and they are not safe and not easy to implement as compared to other tools. So the engineers, they wanted some abstraction uh, over the cold streams, which can basically lazily be consumed. And uh, it is much more safer and easier to consume. So they come up with the idea of flow. So what is flow? Here, basically, there are three entities involved. Uh, there's one producer, uh, one intermediary, and then we have a consumer. So in Kotlin, uh, in coroutines, a flow is basically a, uh, which can send multiple sequential values. And uh, as compared to, uh, as opposed to the suspend function, they are much more better. Suspend functions can send only one value at a time, but flows can send multiple values. They can emit basically. So here there are three entities involved. There's a producer, there's an intermediary and consumer. So producer produces the values and then sends it over the stream. And then we have intermediary. So intermediary basically it tries to uh, modify the value over the stream, or it can modify the stream itself. And then the consumer, consumer consumes the value and uh, use it further. So how we can see in a demo. So let's say if we have a flow of integer values, which is depicted by a tube on the right side. Right now the tube is gray. So for now, we are just declaring the flow of integers and we are using flow builder to display, uh, which basically has a list of integers one, two, and three. And for each integer, we will try to emit. So for now, uh, the tube is a gray color. Why? Because we don't have any collector flow to collect this emitted values. So right now we have just declared and it's not declared inside any coroutine, it's just been declared. So let's say if we want to collect these emitted values, so then we have a, then we declare a numbers.collect inside a coroutine. 
So this numbers.collect is basically a flow collector, which will collect the numbers and then try to update the UI. So how this gonna work? So basically we have three values and one, one tube, the first tube is basically a flow builder. Another is a flow collector. And then we have a UI. So how it works basically. So the flow builder, for the first flow builder, when we try to emit any value, that particular value will be sent over the tube and the collect builder, uh, the flow collector will try to collect that value and up accordingly update the UI. In the same time, at the same time, uh, another value, the flow builder produces that value, emits that value, flow collector collects it, update the UI, same goes with the third, and the collect flow collector collects it and updates the UI. So basically it's nothing but a single coroutine only. So as you can see here, we have only one coroutine which basically collects. So we can say that there's only one coroutine involved. Uh, so flow builder just emits the value and the flow collector just collects it and update the UI. So here is only one coroutine and here we end the flow and coroutines. Great. So another form of flow is a buffered flow. So what is a buffered flow? So let's go with the same example, but instead of, uh, instead of directly collecting, we have a buffer before we collect the numbers. So what exactly is this? So let's say we have a producing coroutine and the collecting coroutine. So here, uh, in some cases, in some scenarios, we would like to hold some values before we start emitting inside the flow. So in those cases, we use buffered flow. So as you can see here, when we use the buffered flow, it basically introduces a channel between the builder and the collector. So this particular channel is nothing but a buffered channel. This buffered channel can provide us the functionality which we just saw with the flow that there's just one coroutine involved and we can, this buffer channel can hold some value uh, for the some time once the uh, coal uh, flow collector is available. Then once the coal flow collector is available, they can start emitting one by one. So if we talk about uh, what else can be a flow. So let's say we can declare a list of integers as a flow. We also have a flow of, or more simpler, we can say flow of one, two, and three, nothing but an integer again. We can have a functional type of flow. We can also have a suspending functional as flow. We can have live data objects as flow as well. So anything can be a flow basically. And flows are like just one coroutine, have a buffer channel and so much more. So let's look into how we can consume this uh, popular flow tool inside our Android application. So we'll go with a simple demo. But before going with the demo, 
the recommended architecture, the modern architecture for Android development is this. So basically here we have activity and fragment as views, then view models, then we have repository, the models and remote data source. We can also present this as, let's say we have a view and we have a view model. The views basically observe the live data from inside the view model. And on the right side, we have repository and data source. So the data source is, we can say it as an, uh, the one which makes the network request. So inside the data source, it can be a remote data source as well as a local data, board, uh, data, local data source, which is nothing but a local database. So basically it produces a flow and the repository gets that flow from the data source. Now to bridge the gap, we have use case layer in between repository and view model. That is nothing but a business. Uh, we can implement the business logic in the use case layer which ultimately does the same, gets the flow from the repository and pass it to the view model and uh, use to observe in the view. All right, so now in the example here, we will try to create a list of article headlines. And to do so, we will try to uh, use flow uh, to, uh, to create the flow of a list of articles, and then we'll try to consume those lists and display over the view. So as you know, here we have a, a class named news remote data source. Now, news remote data source basically takes, uh, basically has a property named latest news, which is nothing but a flow list of article headlines and it takes a news api as a dependency which makes the network calls and exposes a suspending function now here we are using the flow builder this flow builder as we are inside a coroutine the coroutines can suspend so let's say if you want to uh, inside the flow builder here if you want to make multiple network requests we are looping we are using a while loop which will continuously try to make network request and get the latest news and why we are doing so because we'll try to fetch the latest news from the server and try to display it over the ui so that the requirement is fulfilled and to fetch the information to fetch the latest news we, we call fetch latest news uh, suspending function to get all the latest news. And with its results, we, we pass that result to emit and pass it over the flow so that it can flow all the way up to the view to display the latest news. Here, we are using another suspend function called delay, which has a delay of five seconds. So let's say, while we are trying to fetch some network requests, some, uh, while we are trying to fetch some network response, at that time we can delay for some few seconds and then another iteration will go on. All right. Now, as I discussed, we have three parameters in the flow. 
we have producer, we have intermediaries, and we have consumers. So the remote data source is basically acting as the producer of the, of the flow. And we can modify those streams by using some intermediary operators. So intermediary operators are like, uh, they can perform some operations over the flow of stream. So basically we can modify some uh, stream and, and then present it over the UI to present it to the user. So here, so here in the news repository, as you can see, we are using uh, two values. One is news remote data source, which is basically the producer of the flow of streams. And we have a user data, which is nothing but uh, we can get the information of the logged in user from it. And then we have a property called favorite latest news, which is nothing but a flow of list of article headlines. Then we try to fetch the latest news from remote news remote data source. And then we apply some intermediate intermediary operators like map. So map can transform the latest news and we can apply some filtering to get the actual favorite topics of the user interest. And then, and then we are calling on each, which is nothing but a side effect where whatever the news are being filtered, we are saving those news in the cache. Now, here we can, uh, before, with the help of intermediary operators, we can't, we can just modify the stream of data, but to trigger the collect, to trigger the producer to produce the values, uh, we have to call collect. So here, as you can see in the latest news view model, we are calling news repository dot favorite latest news dot collect. So collect is a suspending function, is a terminal operator. When we call this collect terminal operator, this operator triggers the producer to produce the latest news after a certain time interval and can refresh the news and pass the flow here. So collect basically takes a Lambda parameter and we can update the view with the latest favorite news here. So collect, unless we call the collect, the producer will not start emitting as we saw earlier. We can also collect the flows on the view. So to do so, we can call a safer way to call, uh, to, to collect the, uh, from a flow is by calling repeat on lifecycle. So repeat on lifecycle basically is a suspending function which takes lifecycle.state as a parameter and which can uh, automatically uh, create and launch the uh, block of code which we are which we have passed inside. So it will automatically uh, so it will automatically cr collect trigger the producer to produce the values and can collect and can update the list. And let's say when we move, if at all, when we move out of the lifecycle state. Let's say if we go out of the lifecycle state dot pause, at that time, 
it will automatically uh, it will automatically stop collecting the values so what happens there's another way to collect the values on uh, on the views so another way is basically to call flow dot flow with lifecycle so flow with lifecycle basically it uses uh, the repeat on lifecycle under the hood and these are used basically to collect just one value so whenever we want to collect multiple values we can use repeat on lifecycle but if we want to just collect single value we call flow with lifecycle and it also manages and automatically terminates or start collecting based on uh, when we when the ui moves into the lifecycle state or when it moves out of the lifecycle state cool so now let's say in while we are trying to fetch some data from the remote source we can use some third party libraries so in while using third party libraries we might face some sort of exceptions so to handle those exceptions basically we can call catch so catch can be called in the view model before we collect any flow of stream or it can be called inside the repository to emit the late last cache news so that we can handle any unexpected exceptions great now since flows are uh, greatly adapted all over the world and it's uh, we have a full support inside all the jetpack libraries we have a full support for flow so we can also use flow along with room so here as you can see if at all we have uh, any update in the local database the values in the local database so for example if we have any updated elements in the article headline table then we can send this uh, we can emit these values right away to the ui to get updated ui uh, uh, and whatever we have inside the updated article headline table so i'm i'm sure uh, if if you guys have any questions like you can uh, and this is all uh, I've got to present for today. If you guys have any questions, you can put up in the chat. I would try to answer you guys. And if we have no questions so far, then I would like to pass on, uh, I would like to invite Sifat to, for the next presentation. That's all, thank you. I hope this was insightful. Yeah, so hello everyone, uh, good evening.
this is Sifat. I have been working here at Seven Peaks uh, as a senior Android developer. And uh, today I'd like to uh, discuss uh, about uh, Android X biometric, how uh, we can integrate uh, Android X biometric in our project. So let's get started with it. Uh, first of all, as a user, I think uh, all of uh, us have some sort of experience with uh, biometric uh, APIs, especially in, in the wallet applications or banking applications. So what uh, Android X Biometric uh, is, is a, a library uh, which uh, provides us a set of APIs uh, which uh, we can use uh, to integrate uh, the Android X, uh, to integrate the biometric authentication in our Android application. So first of all, uh, Fingerprint uh, Manager was introduced uh, back in Android 6 uh, API level 23. Uh, there were two major issues with this uh, Fingerprint Manager. One was that uh, it didn't have any UI and the other was uh, it only provide uh, developer access to the fingerprint uh, sensor. Uh, as you know that uh, other kind of biometric uh, are getting popular uh, day by day in modern day, uh, like uh, facial recognition. So, so developer actually started to give feedback. And also as there wasn't any UI, uh, so developer has to uh, build their own custom UI. That uh, was another problem because uh, different devices has a different kind of sensor. For example, some devices has sensors in, in, uh, in the display itself, and some uh, devices has sensor in the back. So as a developer, we have to uh, build a custom UI for different kind of uh, sensors. So taking these uh, feedbacks into account, uh, Google framework team and uh, security team started working on this. And in Android 9, uh, they published uh, fingerprint UI policy and also the biometric prompt. So the biometric prompt actually uh, gave us access to not only the fingerprint sensor, but also the other uh, biometric sensor that uh, the developer can use to authenticate the user. And also it provides uh, as an simple UI, uh, which as a developer we can customize we can just uh, set some uh, parameter to it. And uh, uh, and we don't have to build uh, the UI from scratch. And uh, one another uh, advantage of this was uh, the device manufacturer now can customize this uh, UI uh, to fit the need of their particular device. And uh, later in Android 10, uh, biometric manager was introduced. So the biometric manager gave us uh, the API to check whether the, the device uh, supports biometric authentication or not. Also, it uh, provides us a fallback. Uh, so uh, if uh, we want to use the non-biometric credentials like pin, password, or pattern as a fallback to uh, the biometric uh, authentication, we can do, uh, do that. So backward support, uh, the Android, uh, Android X biometric API 
provides support all the way back to API R23. And uh, if you want to use the non-biometric credentials like uh, pin, password, or patterns, uh, it can provide you support till API 21. So now uh, the steps uh, to integrate this uh, library in our project. So you can see that uh, there are a very simple five steps there. Uh, first of all, we need to add uh, the library dependency in our application module. Uh, then we have to check whether uh, the, dev the device supports biometric authentication or not. Then we have to build a prompt info object. Then we have to create a biometric prompt. Then we have to ask uh, the user to authenticate uh, himself. We'll see these steps uh, in detail in our later slides. So first of all, uh, so first of all, uh, the Gradle dependency. So right now the stable version is 1.1.0. So you can add uh, this dependency in your app level Gradle file and sync, uh, sync the project. You will get access to all the Android X uh, biometric API. And then uh, you have to check uh, whether the device supports uh, the biometric authentication or not. Uh, to do that, you can simply call the can authenticate method of uh, the biometric manager. And you can see uh, we have to pass an integer value in the parameter. So what the integer value represents is that the type of authentication you, you are looking for. So here you can uh, pass uh, one of these uh, three authenticators. Uh, the biometric weak uh, for non-crypto authentication, the biometric is strong for crypto-based authentication, and the device credentials for non-biometric uh, credentials like uh, PIN, password, or pattern. Now, you can uh, combine uh, this uh, flag as well. So if you want to add uh, the device credential as a fallback to your biometric authentication, you can uh, combine uh, biometric week uh, with the device credential and create a new flag. So, but you have to keep in mind that not all the combinations are supported over all the APIs. For example, you cannot uh, combine the biometric strong and uh, device credential in API level 20, uh, 28 and 29. It is not supported there and also Prior to uh, API 30, you cannot use only device credential. So yeah, these things uh, you, you should be considering. And later, uh, building the prompt info. So what is a prompt info? A prompt info is uh, is our way to set the metadata uh, and configuration for the biometric prompt. So uh, using the prompt info, you, there is a builder method. So you can set that title, the subtitle, and the description of the biometric prompt. And uh, there are other methods, but uh, among them, I would like to talk especially uh, about these two methods. Uh, one is state allowed authentication integer. So here you can also see we have to pass an integer. Uh, this, this is the same as the type of authentication you are looking for. So if you want to use uh, the device credential, uh, non uh, device credential as fallback, you can add here. And then uh, there is another method, set confirmation uh, required. Uh, here we can enable or disable a confirmation uh, button. So it, uh, if, we enables, if we enable it, 
it will add a additional layer of uh, layer of confirmation so user has to explicitly uh, press the confirm button uh, to even after authenticate uh, himself with the, with the biometric authentication so in the image below you can see the difference between uh, the enable state and the disable state the default behavior is uh, the enable state and also uh, this behavior uh, can be overridden by the device manufacturer so uh, it's uh, in some devices you might uh, uh, might not see this confirm button and then uh, the biometric prompt uh, for the biometric prompt we need four basic components here uh, the first one is uh, the fragment activity or the fragment from which the biometric prompt will get uh, the fragment manager and also the context and then uh, the prompt info that we just created and then we have to add a authentication callback so it has uh, three methods authentication succeed as the name is suggesting that uh, it will be called uh, when the authentication uh, is successful the authentication error will be called if there is any kind of unrecoverable error for example if user presses the back button or uh, user happened uh, you know, enrolled any uh, biometric credential yet, or the device uh, doesn't uh, support the biometric uh, authentication. So in those cases, you will uh, get uh, the callback here, uh, the authentication error. And the next one is uh, the authentication failed. So it in uh, the authentication failed will be called uh, if the user input an invalid credential. For example, if the user input a wrong uh, pin or user input a wrong finger to to the sensor so this uh, method will be called and now um, unlike the first two methods uh, the uh, authentication fail is not a terminal method uh, what does it mean uh, it means that uh, if uh, you get a call to the fail method user can still uh, verify himself so you can get subsequent uh, call you can get further calls uh, call back in uh, the succeed or the error so uh, the fail is not a, a terminal uh, callback for this uh, for this one and uh, lastly we have to pass an executor it's optional by default uh, the callback method this executor actually represents in which thread uh, this callback will will be executed so by default, this callback will, will be executed uh, in the same thread uh, the biometric authentication will be called from. But uh, if you want to uh, you know, declare a separate thread or if you want this callback to run on UI thread, you can um, specify explicitly here, uh, contactcompact.get uh, main executor. And the next one is to show the authentication dialog to the user. To show the prompt, uh, simply call biometric prompt authenticate with uh, the prompt info that we created. And uh, we can also cancel the biometric prompt programmatically by calling the biometric prompt.get uh, cancel authentication. So now uh, let's uh, jump into the code and uh, see this authentication in action. So first of all, you can see that uh, in as a step one, I have added uh, the biometric dependency here. And uh, in the main activity, 
Yeah, so in the main activity uh, here is a step two, where we are actually uh, checking, we were creating a instance of the biometric manager and we are checking uh, whether the device uh, is um, supporting biometric authentication or not. So here you can see that I have combined the biometric week uh, with the biometric credentials. So I have added the non-biometric uh, credential as a fallback method. So you can see that uh, there are lots of uh, statuses here. So uh, biometric success, as the name suggests, it, it will be called if everything is okay and the device is supporting the biometric uh, authentication, there is no problem. So this, you will get this uh, uh, value, uh, this status. And then uh, the biometric error, no hardware. This means that uh, the device is not uh, supporting uh, the biometric authentication. Uh, the hardware unavailable is uh, that the sensor is currently unavailable, so you have to try again later. Uh, the device is compatible with uh, the biometric authentication, but the sensor is right now busy. And uh, then the biometric uh, error non-enrolled. Uh, this this will be called uh, when the user haven't uh, registered any biometric information. The user haven't uh, you know, uh, enrolled any uh, pin or any fingerprint or, or facial recognition, and so on. There are other subsequent uh, statuses here. So once we get uh, this success, uh, we have to call the other method to show the prompt here uh, in step three. Uh, you can see that I am creating the uh, prompt info here. I'm setting the title. Uh, the subtitle and the and description and here uh, set alert authentication. I am setting uh, the device credential as a fallback and also I'm setting this to true. Uh, this is uh, true by default, but still I'm setting it. And I'm building uh, the prompt info. Then I'm uh, creating uh, the executor and uh, creating the biometric prompt here with the activity, which is a fragment activity and the executor and the callback. And uh, finally, I am uh, showing the biometric prompt here uh, by calling biometric prompt authenticate with the prompt info. So here in the callback, you'll see that uh, there, there are three methods here. So one is successful, the other is error, and the other one is failed, uh, couldn't recognize the user. So now let's uh, run the project. So here you can see that uh, no biometric uh, or device credential is enrolled because uh, right now I haven't registered any biometric information in, in the emulator. So let's quickly set this up. For this, we have to go to the settings. to the fingerprint security. And I'm choosing pin, finger, uh, fingerprint plus pin. I'm trusting you guys with my pin. <laughs> and uh, then get set, let's 
input the scanner here. Sorry, fingerprint. So here in the fingerprint, uh, you can see that uh, there are lots of fingerprint here, uh, 10 of them. I will uh, select number three and touch the sensor. Touch the sensor. Again, again. Yeah, so now uh, the finger three uh, has been registered. Now let's go to the application again. And now we can see uh, the biometric prompt has been popped up. And uh, I can use the pin here. First, I will enter a wrong one. Yeah, wrong pin. And you can see the authentication is successful. And uh, if I click outside, you can see unrecoverable error because uh, the prompt was canceled. Then let's try a different finger here. Uh, finger one, uh, you can see that couldn't recognize the user. Finger five, couldn't recognize the user. So now let's try finger three. And you can see that the authentication uh, is successful. So now I will do only the weak one. And uh, for this, I have to uh, specify the negative text. Otherwise, the application would crash. So yeah, right now you, you can see that there is no fallback. Uh, there is only a cancel button, there is no fallback. So I have to enter uh, the uh, finger, otherwise uh, it won't be uh, validated. So yes, uh, that's all for, for the integration of the biometric uh, authentication in, in the application, in your Android application. So is there any question on this? Otherwise, uh, I will uh, hand, uh, hand it over to Dimitri. We'll uh, take the next session. Thank so you. So we just have a few questions. Sorry? There's a few questions for VJ, so one second, and I'll just... Yeah. All right. So, yeah. so one of the questions I got is from Mr. Zubair Rahman, right? So the question is, what is the difference between repeat on lifecycle and launch when started? So uh, for, for this question, I would like to uh tell you uh like while i was presenting i showed one slide wherein i showed a safer way to collect the flows in the ui so that safer way was using a repeat on lifecycle uh function so uh basically what happens is uh let's say if we are uh i'll consider one example so while we are collecting 
uh, some kind of Kotlin flows on the UI layer, there is a chance of wasting some sort of resources. So the resources can be like CPU cycles or maybe memory, or there might be some memory leaks involved. So to handle these cases, we use re uh, repeat on lifecycle uh, instead of launch when started. Now, let's consider one scenario. In, uh, if we want a location updates, in, in an example, if we want some location updates, so we can use one of the form of flow that is nothing but a callback flow to emit the uh, location updates sequentially. So while on UI layer, if we use launch when started to get the, to collect the emitted flow of location updates. So what happens is if at all we try to go back to the, let's say if we put the application in the background. So what happens is launch when started will suspend the core routine. It will not try to uh, process the, uh, whatever the location updates are emitted. It will not try to process those values. But what happens is the callback flow, which we are using in the background to emit those flows of the location updates, it is hot. It keeps on sending those, it keeps on emitting those updates to the UI. So, so what happens is even though we are not, or even though if our application is not on the foreground, it still uh, consumes a lot of CPU cycles and the memory is wasted. So to avoid this case, we use a safer way to load the UI. So to collect the uh, flows safely on the UI, we use repeat on lifecycle. Now, there is one caveat. When we use launch when started, at that time, we can cancel the job which started the core routine. So we can, what we can do is we can cancel that particular job while we are trying to collect the flows while using launch when started. At that time, we can, on destroy, we can just uh, cancel the job and this will save some memory and this will also not waste the CPU cycles. But this is boilerplate and in the Android, we don't want to write the boilerplate code. So to avoid this boilerplate, we use repeat on lifecycle. So repeat on lifecycle helps us to reduce the boilerplate and it is lifecycle aware. So what happens, let's say if we move into a started state, a started lifecycle state, it will start uh, processing the uh, flow. And when we move out of the uh, let's say if we go in a pause state of, or, or else if we go in the background state, it will automatically suspend the coroutine and it will not uh, fetch and process the uh, flow. So this is how, uh, this is the main difference between repeat on lifecycle and launch when started. I'm sure I answer your question, Zubay. And uh, another question that I got is from Tithre Nimagnong. Uh, the question is, I have a question about flow. What is the difference between flow and live data? All right. So uh, the difference between a flow and life, uh, live data is basically flow have some extra intermediary operators which live data don't have. For example, let's say uh, if we try to uh, collect some emitted flow, 
so we can apply some transformation so for example i showed one uh, i showed one example where we use buffered flow so we can apply dot buffer function that is not available with live data and there are many more operators which are available with with flow but which are not available with live data and another difference is uh, even though a general flow a regular flow is not life cycle aware while the live data is life cycle aware but in conjunction we can use uh, state flow with callback flows uh, we can use state flows with repeat on life cycle uh, which is now again as i mentioned in the first answer that repeat on life cycle is life cycle aware so if we use state flow in conjunction with repeat on life cycle which is life cycle aware then we can also like uh, have one step ahead of the live data so all in all we can use like flows are if we can say flows are much more reactive but uh, if i compare with the rx java flows don't have so many operators but they still have enough uh, which are like more than live data so that's why they are like uh, plus one uh, than the live data. So yeah, this is the answer for that question. Any other questions you may have? All right, so if, if not, then we would <coughs> like to invite Dimitri for the next presentation. So I have, I have a question. Yeah. 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 So the first one is, uh, can we save custom data using a biometric API so that we can use it later? Uh, I think a biometric API is for only, only just for authentication that you authenticating that user. Uh, I don't think we, uh, it provides us any API so that we can uh, save information there. Uh, as far as I know, the next question is, uh, is it possible to use the library for iris uh, scanner? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, as a developer, we don't have to uh, worry about what kind of scanner the device is supporting. That That is being taken care uh, of by, by the library itself. So it's just providing us the uh, necessary API so that we can use this API uh, to authenticate the user. We don't have to, uh, worry about uh, the authentication the device supports. But uh, yes, uh, the iris scanner also uh, support, is also supported by this library. And uh, can we integrate uh, this with my uh, own UI of biometric? Um, as far as I know that uh, you can, uh, Android is providing us uh, uh the ui but uh, they also provide us the finger uh, the ui policy so if you meet the policy you can build a custom ui but uh, i don't think uh, you'd like it because it will be very difficult to manage that ui across all different devices and all different uh, uh, authentication sensors uh, how can we encrypt and uh, decrypt our data using biometric API? So, uh, can I share my screen? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. I think you guys uh, can see my screen. 
Yes, it works. So here, uh, yeah. So here in the success uh, callback, you can see that we are getting an authentication result. So first of all, you have to change it to a strong uh, biometric strong, and then in the callback, you will uh, get a crypto object. So you can use this crypto object to uh, decrypt or encrypt uh, the data. And also there is the authentication type. The authentication type you specified uh, here, uh, here, uh, the alert authenticator. So in, in the re result, you will get the object to encrypt and decrypt uh, the data. I think uh, that answers your question. Uh, any other question? I think that was it for now. But if you have any questions, just uh, ask them in the question sections. And then I think we'll give it over to Dimitri. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Dmitry, I'm Android Technical Lead at 7PIX and today I would like to talk about uh, Android navigation and uh, the simple implementation of uh, Android navigation in uh, uh, applications is Android navigation company. So uh, what is Android navigation and uh, what is uh, the ways how we can uh, implement it in our apps? Uh, so common flow uh, looks like this, and uh, when you have only a few screens in your application, uh, Android navigation uh, is pretty simple. So you just have uh, Android launcher where you uh, tap your application uh, icon, uh, start your application, and have uh, the first screen. And according to action on this screen, uh, you have to navigate to another screens and so on. Uh, what if uh, you have much more screens and much more actions uh, in your application and uh, as well as uh, a lot of flags or maybe uh, deep links or some external actions? Uh, navigation can become uh, quite messy and uh, you have to implement some additional classes, uh, some additional uh, managers maybe or controllers. and. Uh, as Android uh, doesn't provide any uh, specific patterns for this or any strict requirements for Android navigation uh, in Android apps, uh, you have to take care about this uh, basically yourself. Uh, but uh, usually uh, we have few ways of implementation, uh, how we can switch between screens in uh, our apps. And uh, let's talk about this, uh, these ways, uh, these patterns, uh, multiple activities. Uh, this uh, pretty simple uh, pattern or pretty simple way uh, which we can use to switch between screens uh, in Android application. Uh, in this pattern uh, every screen is a single activity uh, which basically uh, can, can be forwarded user to uh, any next screen and uh, of course uh, bring uh, user back. Uh, this uh, this pattern is uh, very common and uh, exists, uh, I think, from uh, the first versions of Android uh, release. 
and uh, of course it's most uh, simple way of implementation uh, Android navigation uh, but uh, it contains some disadvantages uh, one of these is disadvantages if uh, we use a lot of activities uh, application can have uh, much uh, overhead uh, because activity is quite heavy and uh, as well as we have to implement uh, some additional navigation manager uh, which will uh, take care of uh, switching between screens and uh, as soon as we have uh, more than two screens uh, this uh, this logic of uh, navigation between screens uh, can become very complex uh, another pattern uh, which we can use is a single activity pattern uh, when we have only one single activity uh, in our application and implement uh, every screen as a single fragment. Uh, as well, we can use in our main activity or our, uh, our, our activities that we have in our application, uh, like frame layout or any other container, uh, which can, uh, can be used as a uh, content holder for fragments. Uh, we can uh, use one or maybe more activities. It depends on uh, depends on your uh, solution or depends on your business logic. Uh, this, uh, on one side, can uh, simplify uh, the navigation because uh, it have uh, fragments, and fragments uh, is more lightweight than activities. Uh, but also, we uh, have the same a similar problem saying we had uh, our previous pattern uh, is implementation of additional uh, component, additional manager or controller for uh, take care of navigation uh, between these screens. Uh, how we can solve this? Uh, we can use some uh, external solutions uh, like Android navigation component. Android Navigation Component uh, is a new library, a set of libraries that introduced uh, not so long time ago and uh, become very popular and used as a modern uh, as a modern way implementation of navigation in Android apps. Uh, what is Android Navigation Component? Uh, Android Navigation Component already contains uh, Android uh, controller, navigation controller and uh, contains a navigation graph or if you want it can contain small graphs uh, according to uh, your requirements of course so basically navigation graph uh, is uh, the same uh, fragments or dialogues or any fragment uh, related uh, views and uh, the actions or directions uh, between these fragments, uh, which we can use to switch uh, between screens. So how this works, uh, I will show you in uh, in the live coding. So let's switch to Android Studio. First of all, uh, we have to add dependencies for Android Navigation Component. And uh, these dependencies can be found on uh, Jetpack, uh, Jetpack uh, page. And 
The next action that we have to do is uh, prepare uh, our screens. Uh, in this application, we will have uh, just a few screens. Uh, it will be a basic list of items. And uh, will be the details screen, which contains uh, more detailed information about every item. Uh, we will not focus on uh, design of these uh, screens or specific implementation, uh, but continue with uh, Android navigation company. Uh, so next step after we added our dependencies, uh, we have to uh, go to activity, which we will use as a host for our fragments and add, add a container. Uh, as a container, we can use a fragment container view from Android X library. And uh, the next step is navigation graph. To set up navigation graph, uh, we have to create uh, basically the map or list of our fragments, uh, description of fragments. So let's do this. The first action uh, here uh, is create the package, package called uh, navigation and uh, located in resources of your project. Let's create a navigation resource file in this package. And for it, navigation map. So this navigation map can be automatically used in our container. And this navigation uh, file, this navigation map, uh, should contain the list of our fragments and uh, actions uh, which will be called uh, between them or externally uh, to switch between our screens. So uh, the main main thing, main item here is the navigation, the root item, and uh, the next one, the child's, is the fragments. The fragment should contain the ID, Let's call it uh, list screen. As well, it should contain uh, the class file, uh, which we will use for this fragment, will be this fragment. And we can uh, use the layout parameter from, uh, from tools namespace, just to see it in preview. So as you see in preview screen, uh, now we have uh, the one screen, one fragment, which we just added. Let's add the second one, which we will use as a detail screen. Okay, so now we have two screens two fragments uh, in our navigation graph, uh, which we can use in our navigation. Uh, but as you can see in preview, uh, we don't have any relation between these screens and we have to add this uh, relation or action, action between uh, these uh, fragments. To add the action, we have to 
add additional parameters to our list fragment or our list screen, each called action. Action contains uh, ID. Let's show details. And as well, destination. Our destination is the ID of a uh, fragment from this navigation map, from this navigation graph, uh, which we want to show next after user, user call this action. As well, uh, we should uh, add some additional actions to our uh, root navigation uh, graph. Root navigation parameter is start destination. Start destination is a screen uh, which will show uh, first when we just uh, add this navigation graph to our uh, our container, our container view at main activity. As you can see on preview, now we have arrow to show exactly the action uh, which will happen uh, when user call this action. So let's call this action from our list view. Now list view, we have already implemented adapter, uh, list adapter, uh, which pass, uh, pass as item uh, from this list, which we can uh, send to uh, detail screen. So everything that we need to do uh, is find the navigation controller, which we have, which we just added. navigate according to action. One more thing, as we have uh, item which we need to pass from one screen to another, we have to use uh, the common feature of uh, uh, fragments uh, is pass the data as a bundle. So let's do this. Now we can open our details fragment and read our arguments. Same we usually do when we uh, use fragments. We support fragment manager or just fragment manager. Get arguments. Our parsable object. and show it on the screen. Let's see how it looks like.
Okay, so we have a list of uh, countries. And as soon as we click or uh, select uh, any country from the list, we get a detailed screen with additional information. Okay, uh, this works pretty well. And actually, you don't need any additional, uh, additional managers or additional features. Uh, but sometimes, uh, sometimes in our navigation map, when we uh, assign some IDs or assign some parameters, uh, we can make uh, the basic typo. So uh, let's say we have uh, the text field here. Which will have the similar ID on the detail screen. Let's see, show details. Navigation controller and uh, navigate uh, function doesn't check uh, the ID, the type of ID. So we basically can. Uh, put any ID from entire project without any problem. But as soon as we try to uh, use this action, uh, application will crash. Yeah, uh, Android Studio will not show you uh, any warnings and as well compiler will not show you any warnings or uh, any issues in uh, your log. But uh, in runtime, yeah, application will crash. So how can we avoid these crashes and uh, use some type safety? Uh, Android navigation component uh, contains some additional features. Uh, this feature calls uh, safe arcs. Safe arcs is basically a Kotlin plugin or Gradle plugin, which we can add to our uh, as a class path uh, in uh, project Gradle file build. And uh, as a plugin, our application Gradle file. As soon as we add it, uh, this plugin will generate uh, additional classes for every, every item, every fragment in our uh, navigation graph, uh, which we can use uh, to navigate between these fragments, between these screens. Uh, what is the advantages of these uh, additional objects, additional classes? Uh, they provide uh, the basic type safety. So how we can use them? Uh, we have to set up uh, additional parameters or arguments in our navigation graph. So use argument. Uh, parameters, which we will call country here, set up the argument type. Uh, argument type is basically the class of our object. It can be any native type, uh, which no need to implement as uh, parcelable or serializable. Uh, but if you use some, uh, some external, some additional uh, type, custom classes, uh, you have to implement a parcelable interface. So let's use our country class.
Here we have a few additional parameters, which is default value, which we can set uh, right here in navigation graph. Uh, sometimes it's uh, very useful, so you can avoid of uh, strictly uh, set it in your uh, actions from uh, the fragment and uh, set parameter as an argument as a knowable or not. In our case, it will not be knowable, so we uh, force the user all the time, force the developer all the time, uh, set the country parameter, country argument, and let's back to our list fragment. And as before, we used the navigation through uh, action ID. We will use uh, save arguments uh, generated classes. So how uh, how these classes look like? It's basically the same as uh, name of your current fragment. Uh, with additional suffix is uh, directions. So uh, in our case, it will look like uh, list fragment directions. And action is show details. Show details. Uh, and we pass our object. All this uh, navigation action, we have to pass to navigation controller. Navigation controller, navigate. And pass it here. As soon as we uh, make this, uh, we can come back to uh, details fragment and uh, use some additional features from uh, navigation arcs, from safe arcs, uh, according to this fragment. As well as uh, safe arcs generate class for uh, direction, for, for source fragment, uh, the same uh, generate class for uh, the destination. And this destination class looks like uh, that is, let's call it arcs. So it will it will have the same name as uh, current fragment, but with uh, arc suffix in there. And initialize it by navigation arguments. So instead of uh, require arguments type uh, function and uh, try to call nullable get parcelable uh, with unknown result, we have to check our arcs parameter and get the country country arguments from there. As you can see, uh, all our all our uh, generated classes and uh, provided uh, provided actions is uh, now safety and type safety. So basically, we cannot pass anything else uh, here, like uh, ID or anything else. So we can pass only exactly what is expected by our navigation graph. So let's see how it works.
the result will be exactly the same. That's how you can implement uh, safe navigation with your apps uh, without any uh, issues like uh, forgotten uh, parameters or typos in uh, navigation keys or something like this. So that's pretty much it about uh, navigation components. Uh, if you have uh, any questions, uh, you can ask them in chat. We have two questions. Okay. You see them on your screen now? Ask the questions. Um, no. No. Oh, okay. And okay, let me just wait here. Um, the first question is how do you choose between your screen? Oh, sorry. Um, what is the bundle size increase for using this package? Mm, bundle size increasing according to this package, it's not much. Uh, yeah, it has some generated classes, but uh, I think it's not much important because it's only the code uh, and it's pretty optimized code. So uh, there is not much overhead, uh, which will be in your package in your bundle. Yes, and if there's any questions, please answer them uh, or um, put them in the question section. We have one more question here, which is, how do you choose between using activity and fragment in each page of your project? If uh, there is no have specific requirements, uh, it's absolutely up to developer how to, uh, what developer is prefer, uh, prefer to use. Uh, if you have uh, simple navigation, you can use uh, just uh, just activities. Uh, if uh, you have some uh, expecting some old devices in your uh, for your projects, expecting some old devices, uh, users with old devices, uh, you think to you should think about using fragments, as it uh, doesn't have so much overhead and uh, it will simplify uh, it will simplify the navigation graph and. Uh, it will be much more performant uh, than using the activities. Of course, on uh, on new device, on the flagships, uh, you cannot see uh, much differences between uh, between using activities or fragments, and uh, they will be pretty similar, and uh, you will not see lots, let's say, or some additional side effects. Uh, but uh, if you are a developer and uh, if you have
have some low-end device, uh, you can easily check how it looks like uh, when you use uh, some activity with a lot of views and uh, some additional stuff doing on uh, initializing. Uh, you can see how it looks like uh, when you're using activities and when you use uh, fragments. I think that was the last question. Maybe we can just uh, give um, the attendees one more minute if there's any other questions. Okay, let's wait. Are we still waiting? Uh, some of our attendees can join our Facebook. Follow us there. And we also sent out the um, survey uh, to you guys in the chat. So if you guys can use a few minutes filling out that one so we can improve our webinars. And next week, we will also be sharing the uh, recordings and the presentations with all of you in our Cement Peak Speaks group on Facebook. I think there is no more questions for now. So I think we can say goodbye to everyone and thank you for, for your time. Okay, thanks everyone who joined us today and uh, listen our interesting topics. Uh, see you in Facebook, LinkedIn, and our our social pages. See you again. Bye bye. Bye bye.